Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about National Crime Victims' Rights Week. My name is Emily Mitchell, and I am the Education Coordinator at the Victim Service Center. With me today, I have Deshayla Strawn. Deshayla is the staff attorney at the Florida Council Against Sexual Violence. She is a former journalist and former Orange County prosecutor. Most recently, she worked as an attorney for DCF's Children's Legal Services. Deshayla, thank you so much for being here today. Of course, thank you for having me. I also have with me Joellen Ravel. Joellen is the Victim Service Center Program Director and oversees the Advocacy, Therapy, and Forensic Nursing Department. She is a licensed clinical social worker with over 20 years experience in clinical and administrative oversight. Joellen, thank you so much for being here as well. It's my pleasure. As an introduction, I kind of wanted to start off um, going over briefly some history of National Crime Victims Rights Week. Um, It was originally started in 1981 by Ronald Reagan in an effort to raise awareness of victims' rights. Uh, The week also includes an award ceremony in DC that recognizes organizations and individuals that provide services for victims. Uh, This year's theme is seek justice, ensure victims' rights, and inspire hope. So what we are looking to explore in this episode is what rights do victims have when it comes to sexual violence in the state of Florida. Um, And with that in mind, um, I was hoping I could check in with you, Deshayla here. Um, As staff attorney, at the Florida Council Against Sexual Violence, what information about victims' rights would you like to share to the general public and survivors of trauma? Oh, well, I think that victims and just the public in general should know that victims have rights. And the main three rights that they have here in Florida and nationally as well is that they have the right to be informed and they need to be informed of the release of the perpetrator. If they're incarcerated, Someone, the state attorney, uh, should be informing them that this is the release date. This is when they're about to come out, if they get released early, things like that. They also have to have the right to be informed of the process. Um, if there's a victim crime, the state attorney is, is, it's the state attorney's duty to call the victim, let them know the process, what's going on. If there's an arraignment coming up, um, get the victim's input on if there's an offer made, things like that. 
Um, they also have the right to be present at all the legal proceedings. And then they have a right to be heard um, during any plea or sentencing. So if a victim is, I mean, if a, um, a defendant or a perpetrator has decided to go ahead and take an offer or the, the, is at the end of trial and they are being sentenced, either way, the victim has the right to make a victim impact statement, sharing with the judge how this event affected them, um, how they were impacted in the way that they feel. The judge can take that into consideration and also make that sentence harsher or add something or whatever they, they may deem appropriate or give at least some words of encouragement to the victim. So those are the main three things I want people to take away today is that you have the right to be informed, present, and heard. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. So the right to be <clears throat> informed, present, and heard. Very good. Um, uh, Joellen, I wanted to check in with you. Why do you think National Victims Rights Week is still so important? Well, thank you for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure to do this with Deshayla. I wanted to share that you know, locally here in Central Florida for, this is the 30th year that we have had our partner agencies, including the Victim Service Center and local law enforcement, state attorney, as well as domestic violence programs come together to recognize the professionals that go above and beyond to help victims. And I think it's really important that we have Victim Rights Week because there's a lot of rights that perpetrators have, and sometimes it's unbalanced in terms of the rights that victims have. And that's why I think President Ronald Reagan back in the 80s decided to look into the rights of victims and realize really victims were unfortunately being mistreated by the system and putting some of the recommendations for his task force into play has elevated victim rights. And I'm happy that agencies like the Florida Council Against Sexual Violence and Victim Service Center work collaboratively on behalf of victims. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, uh, when you said that it was kind of imbalanced um, at the time, so how have victim rights kind of changed, do you think, um, before? Because you mentioned that perpetrators, there was like an imbalance of the rights that they had. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, a few of the things that have come forward are there are some units or, or offices within the federal government, including VOCA, Victims of Crime Act, and mm. there's the Office for Victims of Crime, which is under the Department of Justice, and those departments didn't previously exist. Mm -hmm. And those departments allow for funding at a federal level, which does pass through to the state and local level for services for victims, specifically programs like the Victim Service Center, so that we could hire staff and have individuals who are able to provide emotional support, accompaniment, advocacy, information, referral, all the services that we provide, if we didn't have VOCA funding, we definitely could not provide those services. It would be very, very difficult to do so. And I think um, more broadly, I think with victim rights, each state has their own state constitution related to victim rights. Um, there's some similarities, there's some differences, but elevating the conversation about victim rights is important so that individuals um, who are victimized, who may have a jaded view of the system, can understand that 
there are rights of victims and the people and agencies such as our agency want to work on their behalf. Perfect. Thank you so much for shedding light on that, Joel, and I really appreciate that. Uh, Dashayla, I wanted to check in and see what are some barriers you have come across as you help your clients maneuver through the criminal justice system? Oh, that is a great question. Um, so what I've noticed so far is that many clients, they they want to know the, the process of the criminal justice system. They don't understand if their case is getting transferred to the state attorney's office. If it is, what that means, is it being prosecuted? Um, is the Why the prosecutor decided to drop the case, if that's the case there. So having to explain that to them, that's been a a barrier. Also explaining what their rights are, again, that they have the right to be informed. And the prosecutor is um, supposed to tell them what's going on through the case and why they've made certain decisions um, and speak to them before these things happen. Um, Explaining what goes on in the prosecutor's mind, um, such as if you're not cooperating with the police or not answering the phone when they call, then they have no evidence because often the victim is the only witness to the crime. So if you stop answering the phone or don't come in when they need you, there may be a pretrial or a trial date coming up. And if you don't answer, they have no choice but to, to null process or drop that case. Also, if they decline to prosecute the case, I was explaining to a client the other day what goes on in the prosecutor's mind. Um, there's something called prosecu- prosecutorial discretion, meaning that each individual prosecutor has their own way of deciding what to charge and what not to charge. Um, usually they, the big decision maker is, can they prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt? And if they feel they don't have the evidence, if there's a poor investigation or there's no more um, witnesses or things like that, they may decide that they can't prove this beyond a reasonable doubt and go ahead and drop that case. And I want victims to understand that this doesn't mean that they don't believe you. It just means that they don't believe a jury would find in the in the state's favor and because of the lack of evidence or possibly something wrong with the case where they couldn't maybe there's a constitutional violation i don't know anything could be wrong with the case where they couldn't maybe not go forward or not be able to prove that case so those are the biggest hurdles i've been hearing with talking to clients perfect thanks so much for sharing that um have you seen any kind of change in barriers since you started as as an attorney and now? Um, or are those barriers pretty consistent? They seem to be pretty consistent. Just trying to understand the criminal justice system and the lingo, um, what, what an arraignment is, what the pretrial means, you know, things like that. Just So it's, it's been pretty consistent. Got it. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, Joellen, um, we kind of touched a little bit about how you've seen the rights of victims change. Um, so I wanted to also check in your opinion, what could we be doing better as a society when it comes to victims' rights? So, you know, there has been additional things I wanted to share in terms mm-hmm. of rights of victims. One of the things I personally have seen here since my time at Victim Service Center has been the increase of statute of limitations mm-hmm. for individuals, specifically adult victims of sexual battery. In fact, in Florida, we had previously had one of the lowest statute of limitations, meaning it was only four years that an individual had in order to decide if they wanted to move forward and, and go through the law enforcement process of investigation and then you know, trial perhaps. And 
one of our former clients actually brought this to our attention because she was 43 days past her statute of limitation and she took it upon herself to want to make a change and asked our agency to do that. In that process, we looked at our own individual client data and realized on average, most of our clients wait eight years before they kind of decide to get help, healing or seek justice. So we took that information and we went through the legislator and ultimately back in July of 2016, the statute of limitations for adult battery was increased to eight years. So that's one example of how one individual with an idea and the backing of a support system can make a change. We know we're proud of it. Um, it started as an initiative called 43 Days Initiative, and now it was changed by uh, Rene Placencia, and he assisted in that process along with Louis Damiani, our executive director. And so I know that those changes can happen. And prior to working here, you know, it always felt like it's very difficult to change process law, but it does happen. So I want to add that in there. Now, your, your question was, um, in my opinion, what can we do better? I think that there is an unfortunate tendency that individuals victim blame. Um, we know that it happens a lot with sexual assault cases. We see sometimes, even very publicly, people put comments on Facebook or law enforcement Facebook pages when they report a situation, there is a lot of negative comments, speculation, and there is not the start by believing thought process. Um, and I know locally, we see law enforcement is really trying when they investigate to start by believing. We always have to continue to train in that way, but it's a sad thing when the citizens or the community does not start by believing. And, you know, personally speaking, I think that when someone is going to disclose, whether it's to a family member, friend, or law enforcement, and that experience is one that is not positive, it could really change them in terms of their willingness to be cooperative, to want to go forward, or to even ever disclose again in the future if they were re-victimized. So I would ask people to think before they speak, especially about words that go on social media, and also to really kind of look at yourself internally and realize, why is it that maybe I'm thinking this or feeling this? I get it. It's a defense mechanism. People victim blame because they want a reason to protect themselves and get themselves out of thinking they could have been in that scenario. But ultimately, we know that that scenario does happen. And so that's my response. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I know that victim blaming can also not even just be like, oh, you were asking for it. But it can also be questions too, right? Like the first, the way that they respond to someone disclosing. Do you have some examples of like questions or? Yeah, we always train that you never ask why questions. Mm -hmm. Because when someone receives the question of why, they're immediately feeling like they're not believed, mm -hmm. that they don't feel supported, and that they have to justify their decisions. And so I, I try to look at anytime I'm asked why in any regard, and I start to realize that that question why 
is one that really kind of elicits some feelings in me just because I've learned so much about why it is um, a terrible question to ask a victim. Yeah, like why were you out late? Um, I think why has kind of like a judgment yes. you know, associated with it. So I totally understand that. So yeah, I think everyone could kind of work on, you know, start by believing approach and just listening there and like validating their experience. Sometimes it's just being silent and opening your ears and closing your mouth and allowing that person to kind of release what they need to release. Absolutely. I absolutely right. agree. Perfect. Um, so uh, that kind of brings me into my next question for you, Deshayla, kind of how sexual violence, um, I think, is a completely different kind of crime. Um, and so as an attorney, what are some specific things that you have to consider when working with a survivor of sexual violence? Oh, well, just as Joellen was just saying, like the kind of questions I ask to get the facts of the case, um, I tried never to ask why you were there, or why did you see him again, or anything like that. Um, I just go into the facts because I need to know the facts to be able to apply the law. Um, this is a different type of law where I need to be empathetic and not, you can't treat the victims as if it's just another case or another number. Um, I tried to make sure they feel valued and know that I believe them. Um, I praise them for coming forward in the first place because there's so many people that has gone through the same thing and they won't come forward or they're scared to. Um, so I do that. Also, I try to keep reaching out to them um, just to let them know I'm still here, update them on the case. Also, if they see if they need anything else, if they have other questions. And like Joellen was saying, just letting them talk. I've had clients tell me that thank you just for listening to me because apparently it's hard to get someone to even just listen to the story, you know, to, to what happened to them. And so that's something that I that I have to remember um, working with clients that are victims of sexual violence, just to, to be there to listen, um, not judge, not blame, not ask the wrong questions and just continue to encourage them and, and reach out to them. Absolutely. Do you find it hard to be, um, you know, uh, in kind of the legal space where, you know, basically at the end of the day, the judge or the jury is trying to figure out did this happen or, you know, did this not happen or is this person guilty or not guilty? Do you find that really hard to be in that space while also, you know, support, supporting a survivor, you know, without those victim blaming questions and stuff like that? I do. Actually, I do find that very hard. It was hard as a prosecutor, especially because, you know, I'm the one bringing forth the case against this person and having to let them know that this is what could happen. This is in the jury's hands. They are the finders of fact, then they could just decide they believe him a little bit more than you and he can walk out the door with us, you know, and that's hard to explain to them, but I like to, to let people know that what the possibilities are, you know, um, and then also explain the, the other options that they have. But most, I found that most clients, they're very appreciative of knowing, of being honest, you know, so they know what to expect and what, what may or may not happen. So yeah, it's, it is hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I really, I'm really glad that there's resources like you out there that can help, you know, survivors maneuver through the complicated process that is the criminal justice system. And, yeah. um, and that we do have that start by believing approach. That's really powerful. And so uh, I do have another question for you, Joellen. Um, have you found that going through the criminal justice system is healing for survivors of trauma? I appreciate that you asked that question because this is a conversation we talk about at the Victim Service Center often. 
because everyone has a different path to closure. The criminal justice system is not always that path for individuals. So healing is individualized, very much so. There are some individuals who are very passionate about wanting to seek justice through the criminal court system. And what we can do as advocates is provide information such as Shayla mentioned in terms of what may or what may not happen. And there's a lot of factors to consider. Let's just, let's just take a situation and, and say that there was an accusation of sexual assault. First, there's the investigation of that. And so if the person chooses to go with law enforcement and have it investigated, there needs to be kind of enough trust in the process that the individuals that are investigating get the evidence enough, and that evidence is enough to bring it to the state attorney. Now, the state attorney at that point has to kind of accept that evidence and say whether or not this is um, sufficient enough to move it along to a trial. Now, in that process, maybe they do think it's it's worth prosecuting, but they decide to take a, a plea. Is that What does the plea mean for the victim? Is the, is, the, is the victim okay with that or not? You know, and there's some involvement of the victim, but that decision is not necessarily controlled by the victim. All of the decisions after disclosure are not really controlled by the victim. Unfortunately, there's due process. I mean, it's fortunate that there's due process, but <laughs> for the victim, for the victim, sometimes they feel kind of a, it's a system that's doing this to them, but it has to be one that is um, just and balanced in some ways. And so say that there is a trial and the person decides to move forward um, then you have to decide, you know, does, is the person convicted? And so, yes, maybe the person's convicted, maybe the person's not. There's two paths there. So sometimes victims get discouraged, person's not, not convicted. And then we also see people who everything, it works out fine and there is a conviction and that person's pleased with the conviction, but is not happy with the sentence. That's just not enough time. And those are things that kind of we talk about with victims to get them to realize there is goals that you can set for yourself in terms of where you want to be, where you want to feel, how do you want to heal and recover and repair that are controllable, that we can work with our advocates and our therapists to do. Sometimes the court system is one that is very uncontrollable and everything can be lined up beautifully and you can have the best prosec prosecutor, you can have really good evidence but there are some things that are out of our hands. So we always want to go back to that path of looking for healing individually in that person's way so that they can feel comfortable with the result. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, it just makes me remember that, um, you know, sexual violence is a crime of power and control, and it must be really difficult for a survivor who we're trying to give control back into their life to maneuver through a system that they really don't have a lot of control over. So, yeah, I, I think it's really powerful to have, you know, people like Deshayla who do believe, start by believing who, you know, is in the criminal justice system and saying, hey, I believe you even if this doesn't work out the way that you're looking for. I think that's really powerful and why victim blaming is so, um, should be something that we should all work on to avoid mm -hmm. um, so that survivors can heal. Um, by gaining power back and, you know, power of their story as well. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, if, if things do go completely like 
this is how long I want, you know, my perpetrator to be in, you know, and everything kind of goes sunny, I guess you could say in the criminal justice world. Do you find that healing still needs to continue after criminal justice? I know that, I know that healing could be kind of like a roller coaster, like up and down, but I think a lot of times, um, sometimes we might have an assumption that, if it all goes well in the criminal justice system, that that's kind of like the end all be all. So do you have any comments that's about a, that? That's an interesting way. I think sometimes we see in, in you know media and movies that that's like the final chapter and everything's fine. Right. But really there's always going to be things like anniversaries and there's going to be kind of emotions that come up. You know, we are meant to deal with emotions and it's healthy to have emotions like anger because that's going to help us along the way. But you may experience those emotions that you you felt during the trial. Mm-hmm. You may experience again in your life. You would want to feel emotions. We don't want to be numb to, to our lives. And so I would say for the most part, I mean, I don't think it's the end. I, I really don't. I can tell you from the clients that we see at the Victim Service Center, we have a lot of clients who come back that they're, we call them reintakes. Mm-hmm because it's been a few years or several months and they've passed the phase of kind of the crisis. They've worked on the more deeper healing and now um, a major life milestone has happened. We, we've seen things because of you know the coronavirus or when there was the pulse shooting or other things that have happened where those traumatic events have triggered someone's healing response. And there's been times that individuals kind of need to get connected again, maybe get back into a support group mm-hmm. or have a couple of sessions, a crisis sessions with their counselor, call the helpline just to check in because they're having a difficult time sleeping because it's the anniversary of their victimization. Or even it's the anniversary of, you know, a court date that didn't go the way that they wanted to and they remember it for some reason. There's songs that come on the radio that remind them of the victimization. So there's always going to be stimulus that we experience in our life that bring us positive and negative reactions. And when individuals encounter those things, we can never predict when that's going to happen. Sometimes we can plan and we can safety plan and we can talk about things like getting ready for an anniversary. But certainly in my opinion, and I think the Shayla would agree that that d- that process of criminal justice is a phase in the healing. Mm-hmm. It is not the right. end healing. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Joellen. Um, I wanted to kind of check with you, Deshayla, um, if you have any you know success stories during your professional career or any kind of stories um, with a survivor of sexual violence um, that you would like to share. Sure. Um, well maybe not one particular story, but I always count it a success when a survivor reaches out to me after everything and just says that they are able to move forward. They found closure. Um, I've had one survivor when I was a prosecutor tell me, you know, we're about to go to, I think the pretrial and she decided she no longer wanted to even go forward. She, cause she found closure and with her family and she had moved with them to another state. She didn't want anything else to do with this. And to me, that was a success for her because she sounded so much better. That was the first time I spoke to her that she didn't start to cry and start to, you know, be triggered. 
So that's one way to go. And then another way, I, I had a survivor one time who we were able to just kind of write a letter to her landlord so she could get out of her lease without having to pay a penalty. The landlord was gracious enough to uh, agree to that. Um, and she was able to move on with her life just by not being in the same apartment complex anymore. You know, um, the court hearing didn't go her way, but that part did, you know, and she's told me now that she's going to go ahead and start being either a victim advocate or work with the media um, in encouraging and inspiring others to come forward. So those things right there to me are a success. You may not get everything that you want, but to start the healing process and to start to be able to move on, uh, move forward and then help others do the same that's a success to me. That's perfect. Yeah, I that's awesome. I, I didn't even think of that. There's other goals that survivors could have uh, that might not just be uh, the ones that we might have in our minds. Um, yeah. So when you do meet with a survivor, um, do you start out asking what their goals are? Do their goals change throughout the, the process? Sometimes. Um, I do ask what their most important priority is right now. Because sometimes I hear a a lot of the facts and I'm saying, okay, so I see a lot here. This is, we could do this, this or this. You need this and this, you know, what's most important right now to you. And then we'll start working on that. And then occasionally sometimes, yeah, I had someone the other day say, you know what, never mind, I don't want this part. Um, And I gave her my advice on that, you know, to, you know, you can do what you like. You don't have to move forward with any prosecution or civil suit, but, these are the consequences if you do or if you don't, but either way is fine. So yeah, it just, things change as they move on in the healing process. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and I do know that um, some of the goals are also uh, victims compensation. Um, mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about victims comp? Sure. Um, victims compensation is something done in most every state um, for victims of sexual violence or any violent crime really um, it can be for even children that have witnessed a crime, uh, but it's to compensate them for loss of wages, um, lost property, um, relocation assistance, or medical expenses, um, even for mental health counseling, uh, things like that. So you could just go ahead and call the call the number, or either go to the website, uh, fill out the application. They usually ask for some kind of documentation, like for uh, communication from a law enforcement agency or charging document or maybe a police report, um, there's a list of what they would accept and apply for that and they will send money to for, to help you get through this process. So it's a really good option for victims and a lot of people don't even know about that. So I, you know, I know that Joellen and um, several of our, we work with about 50 different um, service centers throughout Florida. Um, they're good at helping the, the victims go ahead and fill that out. Perfect. Yeah, and that actually segues perfectly into my other question here for you, Joellen. Um, how can uh, the Victim Service Center support survivors of trauma when it comes to their rights as victims? So the first thing to follow up with what Jashayla was saying, we as the Certified Rape Crisis Center for the counties that we serve, we can certify sexual battery relocation claims. Mm-hmm. And so that's required in order to get the funding in order to move out of an apartment, like Deshayla mentioned with one of her clients, that was very helpful because there's a lot of re-victimization by returning to the same place and seeing the same bed or or whatever it might be that kind of triggers those thoughts of the victimization. So yes, we can help by providing information on how to navigate the criminal justice system, the victim compensation system, 
We can certify claims for victim compensation, sexual battery. We could start right at the beginning and we have our helpline. It's 24 seven. It is um, covered by master's level crisis counselors and they do this anytime. They answer the call within three rings and they can provide support, whether it's just information or emotional support or resources that an individual may need. And it's not just the individual who's the victim. We get a lot of calls for professionals on behalf of a victim, parents, spouses, loved ones of victims. You know, a lot of calls like this happened to my wife when she was younger, she's crying a lot, uh, options of what I can do, things like that. So that is our primary resource in terms of access to our agency because it's 24 seven. And then we're, we have the forensic exams, which we need to do within 120 hours. So within five days of an assault, we have our forensic nurses, as well as our advocates who can accompany that victim. And they will provide the support doing that process. And in that process, there's a medical assessment that's done. And there is prophylactic medication that can be given to prevent sexually transmitted infections and pregnancy. And sometimes that's very important for individuals because they don't have resources to go on their own to a doctor. Um, those nurses, if there's a criminal court, will testify on behalf of the facts of the case. And then what we have at Victim Service Center is all of the advocates that answer the hotline, the helpline, are the same advocates that work with victims during the course of their um, care with us. And so those individual advocates provide our clients with ongoing crisis counseling. They navigate anything the individual needs. They connect with people like Tashela in order to support the legal needs of a victim. And they work together until the case is resolved or the healing is resolved or there's some decision made by the client to say, you know what, I feel good about this. I'm moving here or I'm getting, I'm graduating or other times that the client and the advocate decide together there's a need for more. And sometimes more could be group care through support groups. And sometimes more can be um, a referral for individual therapy. Now at Victim Service Center, all of these services are completely free. We don't have a cap on the number of therapy sessions. Um, it's a very unique way of doing things. We're very proud of it. And there's really, really good results. Clients often report back like, this is exactly what they needed. And sometimes clients are not ready for the deep um, intensive work of therapy, and that's okay. They'll maintain with the advocate who can continue to do craft, uh, counseling and assist that victim as long as needed. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Joelle. And that actually led to kind of my closing question for Deshayla, which was how can survivors um, get in touch with you, um, uh, Deshayla? Oh, they can email me. Uh, my email address is dstrong at fcasv.com. And I will spell that. Um, that's D as in dog, S as in Sam, T as in Tom, R as in Roger, A as in apple, C as in cat, uh, H as in Harry, A as in apple, N as in Nancy. And that's at Florida Council Against Sexual Violence. And that's fcasv. And actually, I think it's .org. <laughs> and then, or you can give my office a call. Well, right now, we're working from home. So I'll, I'll give out my 
my work cell cellular. That's eight five zero four zero eight five six one two. Perfect. Okay, perfect. And it sounds like also the Victim Service Center can connect. If you give us a call at the 24-hour hotline, um, we can also connect you with Shayla as well. That's perfect. So um, thank you both again. Um, before uh, we kind of sign off here, is there anything either of you would like to share uh, in addition um, about Victims Rights Week or the work that you do at all? Well, I definitely want to put it out there that the helpline number is 407 500 HEAL, H-E-A-L, and we would definitely um, receive calls from professionals or victims themselves. We can make the connections. Um, I would just say that for victim rights, I think it's important that we work in partnership uh, because it is not a single one service provider could have, you know, could navigate the entire process. There's a value of prosecutors. There's a value for um, victim advocates that work for the state attorney's office, as well as victim advocates that assist for DV, individuals who are victim of DV and SV. So I think the best way to help victims is when agencies come together and support and collaborate on behalf of victims. Yeah, perfect. And DV being domestic violence and SV being sexual violence, right? Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to Shayla? Yeah. Um, also visit our website at uh, fcasv.org, fcasv.org as in Florida Council Against Sexual Violence.org. Um, and we just, we practice certain areas, mostly injunctions, immigration, employment law, education law. Um, we also do termination of parental rights. So just visit that and it'll show different trainings. And uh, that's also another way to get in contact with us. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate both of you being here today. Um, anything else you want to add, Joellen? I just want to give a shout out to the wonderful staff at the Victim Service Center. They're really there to support their clients, and I'm very proud to work alongside them. I definitely agree with that as well. I know that, um, you know, the Victim Service Center is definitely special. And I think all the advocates and therapists, um, everyone works so hard. And I know that they make a huge difference. Um, and I really appreciate the Flora Council as well against sexual <laughs> violence. So um, thank you both so much um, for joining us today. Uh, I'm just going to sign off here um, and thank the listener. Um, so thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. Uh, the VSE is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. Uh, to learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks.